Hey, good morning. It's good to see you all, especially most of you who normally go to the five o'clock but have a football game to watch afterwards, so you're here now. Godly people you are. Uh, I want to welcome you all to be a part of us as we worship as Redemption Church today. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. You are catching us right now at the very end of a short series that we're doing on John chapter 17. So in just a moment, we're going to get into God's word in John chapter 17, uh, last few words of Jesus' prayer for his church. Uh, before that, I have a few announcements that I have. Um, first is we talked about high school winter camp, which is going to be February 8th through the 10th. If you want information about that, um, we're going to have someone here that's represent, representing the high school ministry at the Connect Desk. And so you can get a permission slip as well as any other further information that you would need for your child or someone in your neighborhood that you want to send to that camp. Again, stop at the Connect Desk. Uh, next announcement is... Bible Boot Camp. So this is something we've never announced before. Bible Boot Camp is something we started here last year in Tempe. We did a trial run with about 50 people that were part of a 15-week intense Bible memorization and study over the whole Bible. And so you would meet Thursday starting February 7th, 5.30 a.m. to 7 a.m. No, I just lost half of you guys there. And so... Um, Great opportunity to learn the Bible, to learn ministry passages about the Bible, to be able to apply them to your life and to others. I highly recommend it. Uh, personally, myself, I went through something very similar, the same content, uh, six or seven years ago. It's how I learned the majority of the Bible. Uh, it's really hard, and it's a, it's, it's a time commitment because it's about an hour and a half on those, those Thursday mornings, but also a couple hours throughout the week studying those uh, memory verses and cards and also giving a presentation. Lost more of you just then. And so uh, if you want to be a part of that, um, sign up for that. Now, here's the thing. There's only 40 spots available. And so first come, first serve. The way that you can fill out an application is if you go to redemptionaz.com to our Tempe congregation page. Tomorrow, there will be an application there as well as on Facebook. So if you go to our Facebook page tomorrow or to redemptionaz.com at our website, you will be able to sign up for that. I highly, highly recommend it. When you complete the class, you will know more of the Bible and a better understanding of not only how to, um, to know the Bible, but how to use the Bible in your daily life. And so that's Bible Boot Camp. Uh, we have uh, um, First Wednesdays. First 2013, First Wednesdays we're going to have. It's February 1st. Uh, in this room, 6.30 to 8 p.m., there'll be food provided as well as child care. If you're unfamiliar with First Wednesdays, First Wednesdays is something we do as a congregation here in Tempe to engage um, the, a conversation of faith and culture. Uh, we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Therefore, we don't believe that any topic is off uh, the grid of what Christians should be thinking through through the grid of the gospel. And so we've done topics like immigration and politics, things like homosexuality. And for February, we're going to be doing dating. Um, what, how do we view dating? And I, and I know most of you um, as singles are like, yeah, I'll go there. And the last time we did singleness, ironically, this is weird, um, we had the most people there for the first Wednesday we've ever had. Um, they were really dressed nice and smelled better. And we're like... Right? So, but this is, this is not only for singles, okay? So those of you in this room who are married, we believe one of the things that we lack as Christians in our own relationships, those of us who are married, is to continue to pursue our spouses and be pursued by our spouses. And so we want to have a conversation about that, some teaching about that. We'll have a panel of people, people who've been married for, for 30 plus years, people who've been married for five and a half years, me and my wife, and then, um, 
Also, our speaker will be Aaron Daly, who is the lead pastor of Life Connection Church uh, here in Phoenix as a part of the Acts 29 church planning network that we're a part of, as well works for Crisis Pregnancy Center. Uh, Great friend of mine. He's going to come and teach on what does dating look like as singles and then what does it look like in marriage. And then we'll have an opportunity to do facilitate some Q&A after that. So it's going to be really fun. February 1st here, 6.30 p.m. There will be child care and there will be food. Um, Last... Next week, we start arguably one of the most important series that we would have, we would have ever done here as a congregation. Um, we have our builder, Building a Stronger Church series where we're going to go six weeks and look at what we believe is God's vision for this church. And so my request for you as your pastor is that for those six weeks, January 27th, next Sunday, all the way to, to March 3rd, that you try as hard as you can not to miss a service. Um, We are going to talk vision, and a part of that vision is we're going to talk about the capital campaign that we are going to be a part of, something we've never done that we're looking forward to, that we're going to be raising a million dollars over the span of three years. Uh, We'll get into more detail about that next week, but it's something that we want all of you to be a part of. Um, And so if you're saying, I usually go to church once a month, we're saying go six straight Sundays, and at least you can know, okay, here's the direction of my church, here's the vision of my church. If you're just joining us and you've been around for the last couple, maybe three months, maybe a few weeks, and you're saying, okay, what is redemption about? Even more particularly, what is redemption Tempe about? You will want to be a part of this. Um, It's going to be a fun time for us, a very engaging time for us. But my request, again, is that we we make it our business to, to make sure we're fellowshipping with one another in one of those four services. Now, what happens in that second week is is Super Bowl Sunday, which we know it's a holiday now. Um, so we won't have night services, so we will pack it out in the two morning services, which will be just fine. And so it'll be much like today with all the godly people who are here wearing 49er shirts. Um, yeah, <laughs> just bought that. So <laughs> good, 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 good. No, there's not, <laughs> there's Niner fans. I, I, I saw one person had a Cardinals jersey on and all of a sudden he's got a Niners jersey. I'm like, come on, come on. Uh, if you have your Bibles, won't you meet me in John chapter 17? John chapter 17, where at the very end of Jesus' prayer, um, he's been praying for himself and his glory to be revealed. He prayed last week, um, we, we, we saw that Jesus' prayer, that he prayed that the church would be kept. And that language there, that we would be protected from the evil one, that we would be kept in God's joy, that through our obedience and response to the gospel, that Jesus' joy would be completed or perfected within us. And we said the way that we experience that joy, that Jesus' joy, is obedience. And then lastly, Jesus, in these last few verses, he begins to pray one central prayer. And the central prayer there is that we may be one. And when he's saying we, he's saying um, we as those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would be one. And as he prays this prayer again and again in these last six verses, there's the result of the prayer. Meaning that we may be one eventually that the world would know Jesus. Meaning there's something unique about when Christians gather, when Christians live in community with one another, that when we understand the uniqueness of what it means to be created in the image of God, redeemed in the work of Christ Jesus, that when we give ourselves to one another, that that those who would say that they are not Christians are able to look at our lives and go, maybe there's something about them that I want in on. What is that? And Jesus says that they would know that the world has sent him. That the second result, not only would they know that Jesus sent him, the second result that we would be able to experience as we live in the context of community with one another is the love of the Father, which honestly, there's no greater love. 
Um, we, we sing that song at the very beginning of our, um, of, our, of our worship service this morning, how deep the Father's love for us, there's, how vast beyond measures. There's, there's no greater love than that. And Jesus is saying, the way that the world will know me is, is you guys as Christians, as the church would be one. And the way that you would experience my love, that most intense love of the Father, that he loved Jesus the same way that he loved us, is that we would be one. And the last few verses, in verses 24 to 26, Jesus um, wraps up the entire prayer. And that is that we would be with him forever. So he prays that we may be one, that his name would be known to the world, that we would experience his love, and then in conclusion of the whole prayer, that we would be with him for all eternity. So before we get into his word, would you guys bow your heads with me and let's, let's ask God to, to teach us through his Holy Spirit, to guide us, to guide my words, to guide our thoughts, that we may be shaped by the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather with friends, to gather with family, to gather, Lord, with those who are visiting with us, Lord, to gather amongst believers and those who are, are asking questions of faith. Father, we, we, we thank you so much for the spirit of Christ that is with us and that, that is something unique and something special when your people gather to, together, Lord, that when your word is communicated and spoken, when we sing of the beautiful truth of the gospel and we confess our need for you, Lord, and when we come to your table and we reminded ourselves of how we are forgiven in Christ Jesus and also that Jesus is the true bread and he's the true wine that gives us strength to live our lives. So, Father, we pray um, as we look at this last, this last few words of Jesus, his last prayer of what he wants for his church, Lord, that we would grow in what it means to be one with one another, to have fellowship with one another, to have community with one another. God, we ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us in your everlasting way. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I've loved about this, this, uh, this prayer, and really any prayer that Jesus, is prayer, Jesus prays, because you know, Jesus prays exactly according to the will of the Father. And because he is himself God, fully God and fully man, whatever Jesus prays for, like, it's going to happen. Like that, I, I love that. We can pray for things and we hope that they happen. We ask that God would, would, would give us our prayer requests, but they don't always happen. But when Jesus prays, it's going to happen. There, there's some of us, we know people like that, that are kind of like Jesus in that sense. They're not Jesus, but we all know people like, man, when that person prays for me, like, I'm really excited. Like other people say, I'm praying for you. You're like, oh, cool, thanks. <laughs> God doesn't listen to you, right? But then when there's particular people like, hey, when they pray for him, like, yes, like Jim Mullins is one of those guys, right? You guys know Jim. Jim does response all the time. He's usually giving us this robust theology. And uh, Jim, when Jim says, hey, Ricardo, I'm going to be praying for him, I'm like, yes, dang it. It's going to happen, right? Whatever. It's like if I, if I want a new car, I'm like, Jim, will you pray for a new car? I guarantee I'll get home. Bam, right there. God did it. It's like Jim is like so close to God. I just feel like God is just like, Jim, what's next? Man, I don't know. Let's get him a car, right? There's just, there's just this. This, this profound sense about that. And we have people like that. But most clearly, we have that in Christ. And so the confidence that we could have is those of us who are in Christ Jesus, that if Jesus is praying for these things, they're going to happen. Because even when we put ourselves into the equation, we put our doubts in it. Like, you know, we all have doubts. That's why I love that song that we sing. I love that song, Lord, I believe, but help with my unbelief. Some of you may look at that and go, that seems like a contradiction. It's like, no, that's Christianity. Like, that's our experience. And so when we put ourselves into the equation and God says, you're going to be with me forever, like, well, what about my sin? What about my unbelief? What about my issues? But when Jesus prays for something, he's able to cover that. He's able to get exactly what he desires. The Father is able to get exactly what he desires. The Spirit is able to accomplish exactly what the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to accomplish through his people. 
So there's a great deal of encouragement in this, in this letter, even though our experience may be we are not one. Like we, we, are, we do not live as one people under the Godhead in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ. There are moments where there's division within the church, there's argument within the church, there's gossiping in the church, there's slander within the church between people in our own congregation. But yet Jesus says, I pray that they will be one. And if Jesus prays that we will be one, guess what? We're going to be one. And we can understand the part that we play in it. Here's what Jesus prays, verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus first starts in verse 20, says, I do not ask for these only. Here's what Jesus is saying. Um, the previous verses before this, Jesus was talking specifically to the 11, the disciples who was before him, that he would keep them, that he would care for them, that he would protect them from the evil one, from Satan. And now Jesus continues, says, not only them, Father, but every single person who will believe in them because of the word. The word meaning the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus right now in this moment, some 2,000 years ago, is praying for every single man, every single woman, every single child that would ever place faith in Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm praying for them even before they're born. That, that as we sit here now, those of us who are in Christ Jesus and those of you who would be eventually in Christ Jesus, Jesus prayed for that to happen. And he's saying, this is going to happen, Lord. And here's my prayer. I pray that they may be one. And he says, just as the Father and the Son are one. Or even just as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. Now, the, the language there, just as, it helps us understand what it means for us to be one. Because just as is not only comparison, meaning the way that God is one, that we should be one. But the language there, just as, also means the cause. Like the way that we would become one the way that the believer, believers in Christ Jesus will become one is because it directly flows from who God is. And so when we understand the oneness of who God is, we can understand what oneness looks like for us as a community, as a people. So, so here, let me talk first about the Trinity, about this Godhead, about the Father and the Son and the Spirit being one and what Jesus is praying for. Within the Trinity, easily one of the most confusing things to explain to people um, that as Christians, we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's really hard. And the reason why you know it's hard is if you ever tried to explain it to a kid, because I'm trying to explain it to my son, and we we're going to pray to the Father. Oh, the Father. Was Jesus God? Yeah, but I thought the Father was God. Listen, Noah, don't talk back to me. Because <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. But there's, there's the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, and one. They're the same in substance meaning they are God, and yet they are different in functions. So within the, within the Godhead, what you have is a community. But in the community, it's not the community trumps the individual or the individual trumps the community. But they both live in healthy tension with one another. What I mean is the Father expresses himself as the Father. He's the only Father, and the Son is the Son, and he's not the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit. So you have the individuals there, but yet they, they are one in community. So you, you, what you have is you have unity without uniformity, and you have diversity without division. They have the same purpose, they have the same goals, the same character, the same mission, the same attributes, and the same love. And another thing that Scott Horrell talks about when he explains the Trinity, and he calls it the self-giving nature of God, is that before God even created this world, 
The Trinity has always existed. God has always existed. He is eternal and unchangeable in all of his ways. And that the community of God has existed. Father giving glory to the Son and Son to the Father. And Father to the Spirit and Spirit to the Son. That they are a giving of themselves. That by very nature what it means for God to be God is that he is a giver. And that many scholars would say the reason and how God created this world and why God created the angelic beings and creation and the animal kingdom and the stars and all the beauty that we experience. And the apex of his creation, man and woman, was out of an overflow of his self-giving nature that we now, creating his image, would be givers. Now, I know we talk much about us being selfish people and how we like to hoard things. And we, we do. We like to keep things to ourselves. But every person, every man, every woman, whether you are a Christian or not, there's something about you in moments of your life that when you have an abundance of something that is good, that you desire to share it with those in whom you love. It's as simple as as a kid at at an elementary school who's got two sandwiches and he sees someone who doesn't. He desires to say, I have something. Will you eat this? And he delights in the fact of his friend having a sandwich. Um, It even goes as something as simple as, um, as, as a favorite movie that we may have. You, you, you ever know that when people see movies that they love, they want you to see it, like, bad? And, like, if you don't see it, you're kind of like the worst person in the world. Like, you have to see Les Mis, Ricardo. You have to see it. But I don't like seeing it. You have to see it. And they start singing it to you, right? There's this, there's like, I will pay for you to see it. Like, I have an experience that I want you to enjoy in. The, it, the reason why we have that, that we want to, when we have an abundance of something that is good, we want to give it is because you and I, Christian or not, we're created in God's image. So when Jesus prays, Father, I pray that they, speaking of the church, would be one as we are one. He's saying the way that we would be one is one God would cause it. And he does this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that if it truly is that we are created in the image of God and for God to be self-giving, then what it means for us to be one is to be givers. But before we can even talk about just being givers to one another, we have to understand even more when it comes to the church what this oneness means. And sometimes the best way to understand what something means is to tell you what it doesn't mean, right? So oneness does not mean sameness, right? And what I mean by sameness, I'm not saying that every Christian needs to look alike. There needs to be kind of like this military approach where we're, we're walking the same, we're dressing the same. No, that, that, that's not it at all. We just said in the, in the Trinity, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's an express individuality. And yet that individuality is most expressed in community. And community is most expressed with individuals. It's the same in church. When I first became a Christian, one of my biggest fears, deepest fears, was that I was going to have to be like the rest of the Christians. And I was going to have to like certain music that they liked. Music that I never liked. I'm like, oh my goodness, God saved me. I'm hosed. I'm going to have to wear certain clothes that I never liked. You know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to learn how not to dance. I'm going I'm, I'm to have to learn how to not clap and sing at the same time. Like, this is going to be horrible, right? This is against everything of my experience and my being and my personality. But oneness does not mean that. Oneness doesn't mean that when you come to grips with the gospel, that somehow the gospel just sheds away your personality. Absolutely not. Oneness means that when you come to grips of Jesus Christ, you actually become who you were made to be. Your, your personality actually becomes more of yourself. You see, G, G, um, C.S. Lewis, not Jesus, although sometimes at this church. Um, C.S. Lewis, Lewis talks about a parable of heaven and hell. And when he describes it, he, he talks about um, this going through hell. And the people that he describes in hell, they're, they're, they're kind of less dense and they're translucent. And they're kind of doing normal things, but they're less of people. Right? And then when he gets to heaven, he calls them um, solid bodies. 
like solid bodies, meaning because they are in the presence of God, because they have come to grips with the gospel, they are most dense and they are solid people. And I love that picture that when we come to know Jesus, the personality that God has given us, that he's fashioned and formed um, after his own image, you individually, that he makes each soul individually, um, that, that there's something about when we come to Jesus that the fullness of that comes out. Because what the gospel begins to do when we come to grips with, with who God is, when Jesus prays that we may be one, and what we're able to do to facilitate this as community is all the insecurity begins to fade away. All the things of me trying to one-up the person, that my personality becomes kind of a rebellious stance, that begins to fade away. Because I realize no longer do I need to be in rebellion because the one who I was created after in his likeness has now redeemed me. And I understand that in the context of community because I realize there's issues about my personality that need to be redeemed. My personality in itself is not perfect. My personality is flawed like everything else in this world. And it needs to be fully redeemed. And I find that out in relationship with God and relationship with one another. So oneness does not mean sameness. Another thing that oneness does not mean is he's not talking about organizational um, unity only. Far more relational. Organizational unity was what people would argue for. We need one big denomination, just one church, no differences. Like You're going to have differences. You are. Because you have men and women who look at the Bible and who understand the core tenet of scriptures. And they would say, these are what we would call closed-hand issues. And there's other issues that God-fearing, loving men and women of God would go, I see it this way and you see it this way. And we can argue over it, we can debate over it, but we don't need to divide over it. And so it's not organizational, like, that our church should be over and against Grace Bible or Grace Community or Missio Dei or whatever churches that are here in Tempe. That we need to have closed-hand issues as Christians. That's oneness that he's talking about. And those are core beliefs that you must believe. And that if you, if you got rid of those core beliefs, eventually you're starting to get rid of Christianity. And then you have open-hand issues that are, you know, things that you can argue over. You should have personal convictions over. But they're not things to divide over. Those could be things like... Um, your view of predestination or election, um, your understanding of, um, of uh, spiritual gifts. Do you speak in tongues? Do you not speak in tongues? Um, do you drink alcohol? Do you not drink in alcohol? Do you dance? Do you not dance? Do you wear pants? What, what type of, should we have guitars? Should we, you guys, should we, should we have guitars or drums? Or th- Those are all open hand issues that, that you have personal convictions on, but it's not something that we should divide over. But then there's closed hand issues. And those closed-hand issues are um, that we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe that every single person was created in that image. Um, beautiful, unique, designed, fashioned after the likeness of God to be able to enjoy him and be in relationship with him. Given man the ability to taste, to see, to enjoy beauty, to have volition. But man in that volition chooses to rebel against God. And all of us by choice, by nature and choice, have rebelled against that God, thus creating a separation between us and our creator. And there's no way that we can make those things right. We can't do it in ourselves. We can't find it within ourselves. We can't find it within creation. The Bible lets us know that the only way that this can happen is if Jesus himself would come and be our Savior. And the good news is that he has come. And he come to live the perfect life for us that we may now be reconciled to the Lord. He dies on the cross in order that our sins may be forgiven, that we may be one with him by faith in Christ Jesus. We understand all of this and the Holy Scripture, which we believe to be the perfect, inspired Word of God. Those are closed-hand issues for Redemption Church. Those are closed-hand issues for being a Christian, is believing upon the gospel for salvation. When Jesus is praying that there may be one, he's praying that Christians would be one here. And the practical sense, the way we play this, the way we play this out, is what God gives us in the golden rule, right? 
love God and love your neighbor. This is really simple. The way we will grow in our oneness and the same way that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are giving of themselves is that we don't turn our eyes and look at ourselves. It is very easy for us to become self-absorbed. Everyone's out to get us. No one understands us. Oh, no one gets me. It doesn't matter. To be in Christian community is something that is needed. It's, it's a way in which we can help understand who we are in God, and we can understand collectively who God is in the midst of us. The way that you best understand you as a person, as an individual, is in the context of a whole community. And the way we do that is loving God and serving one another. It's being selfless, not selfish. It's giving of ourselves. That's exactly what we see in the Godhead. That's exactly what we see in Scripture. That's exactly what Jesus does, that in his love that he gives himself. So those of us creating this image in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we get in each other's lives. What that, what that means is it is a lot easier for us to sit in rows than it is to sit in circles. It is a lot easier for us to come on a Sunday, sing some songs, maybe have a little 15-second to 20-second greeting period, maybe get to know a person's name, but to really be in circles and really be in life committed to one another, to really say, I'm going to carve out my time to be with you because there is something that I'm missing out on myself and something that you were missing out when we were not in fellowship with one another. That there is something that God is saying that there's something not only just unique, but something special and, and something that Jesus is praying for, for oneness. And that means that I will understand what it means to be truly human. You will understand what it means to be truly human by giving yourself. Because if we are creating the image of God and God is a giver, and for us to understand what it means to be human, what it understands to be one, when Jesus prays just as we are one, is that we would love God and we would begin to give ourselves to, other, to others. That doesn't mean that we won't have honest conversations. It doesn't mean that we don't have candor. We need candor. We need honest conversations. We need to know when my expression of my individuality gets in the way of yours, and it's sinful. There there, there needs to be opportunities of weeping with those who weep. You can only weep with those who weep if you know them, you know? Like, you you, you can only rejoice with those who rejoice if, if you know them. That, that, that again, we, we say this, that one of the things we're praying for this year at our church is that we go from being a tr- redemption, being the church that you go to, to the, the church that you say, this is my home, and where can I get involved? I'm responsible about the men and women and the children in this church. It is not just my family. I'm responsible about the lives here, about the people next to me. Um, this, Jesus is praying, I pray that they would be one. Now, here's the so what of this. When we begin to give ourselves to God and give ourselves to each other, um, after the likeness of the Lord, in response to the gospel, he, here's what Jesus says will happen. It says, They all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in, the, and I in you, and they also may be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Like, you, you, you want to, everyone tries to work on their evangelism structure as a church. Everyone's, what, what's going to be our evangelism means this year? What are we going to do? How many doors are we going to knock on? How many people are we going to win for the Lord? Jesus is saying, okay, fine, that's, that's good. But if you loved each other, and you gave yourself to each other, there is something unique about that that someone who stands on the outside of biblical Christianity looks at and go, there's something about that that I want. I mean, there, there, there is something about that community that I want. That, that's a community where people love each other in non-sexual ways. 
Um, there, there's a community that, that is with each other. There, there's candor. There's honesty. They care for one another. They share things with one another. And, and they're so different. There's white people. There's black people. There's old people. Just a few. And then there's young people. And there's, 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 there, 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 this is, does not look like this anywhere else. If I go to any health club, if I go to any um, organization, if I go to any um, just rotary club or whatever it may be, it doesn't look like this. This is not a monolithic community. What is it about then? And we have an answer. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus prays, if the church lives like the church in love, people will know my name. We, we, we know what it's like to be on the outside looking in to somebody else's family or to someone else's life. And you go, man, I want that. I want that experience, right? Like, I want to know how to do certain things. <clears throat> For me, when I was growing up, I wanted to know what it was like to go to a restaurant and, um, and not look like a fool when I was trying to order something. Um, as a family, we would go all the time to uh, Sizzler. Before you start making fun of Sizzlers, some of my best moments were at Sizzlers. <laughs> oh, awesome, right? But when we would go, we would get the all-you-can-eat. Well, I don't know if you've ever been to Sizzler. Uh, we'd go and you get all-you-can-eat. We'd get all the shrimp you can eat and everything. I loved it. And so when you had a waitress come, the waitress would just ask for, you know, your drink. And that was it. Well, when I got older and some friends were taking us out, we went to a restaurant. It wasn't like super high-class restaurant. But I was already insecure because um, my family would always tell me um, how fast I ate. And, um, and I do. I talk fast, I eat fast, I sleep fast, I, I, I'm everything, I'm just gone, right? It's hard for me. And so, and, and so I was at this restaurant, and I was already uncomfortable because there was adults I didn't know. I'm 16 years old, and I'm, and I'm trying to like, you know, I don't know if you had that experience. Your friend's family take you out, and you don't want to know how much to spend of their money. So your friend orders, and you're waiting for them to order. So you go, oh, yeah, 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 I was going to get that too, right? And because you don't want to spend all their money. Well, the lady came to me first, and she said, um, super salad, sir. And I said, um, yes. And she goes, no, no, super salad. And I go, yes, please. I didn't know what to say. And now I'm getting really nervous. And my buddy goes, dude, do you want a soup or do you want a salad? I'm like, ah, I thought they were saying a super salad, right? Like a big one. I was like, I sure am hungry, right? It's just like my my whole, like the, the one thing that I didn't want happened, right? Like I wanted so desperately to learn how to do those things, right? There was, there were families that I wanted, I looked at and I go, man, I want to be like that. And this, this happened even, even on, a, on a personal level more clear to me when I was able to, when I became a Christian, I was able to be around uh, a friend of mine named Eli. He was a little bit older than I was, and he was married, and I was a single guy. I was a young 22-year-old single guy and, uh, and, uh, and wanted to know what life was like, essentially. And what Eli would do is he would allow me and my roommate at the time to watch him and his family. And not in some creepy way, like be around him and his family, Right? And, and I, honestly, I would watch him act like a, like a husband to his wife and the way he talked to his wife. It was beautiful. And the way, they, the way they respected each other and the way they trusted each other was amazing. And I watched the way he cared for his daughters and the way he cared for people in general. And, and this wasn't just at his house. I happened to work with him. And so I saw the way he cared for all the other teachers at the school. And I was like, yes, there is something about this guy. I, I, I remember um, coming into the locker room one day where all the coaches were. And he came in and he said something nice to everybody in the room. And he went into the locker room. And he was just such a big, burly dude that no one expected him to be that that way and someone goes dude eli is totally out of this world and i thought no i think that's what jesus is saying when we thought when we talk about being in this world but not of it like there was something about eli that i want and when he when he was able to let us enter into that we were able to see something there was something about you it's not just the way you do things there was something unique about you and what it was was his intimacy and his understanding of jesus when we take what eli had and we multiply it times the thousand people that are here at this church and we live that out in the neighborhoods and the workplaces and the playgrounds that we live in community 
And it's not saying that we only hang out with Christians. Absolutely not. That we invite everybody else on that journey. But what Jesus is praying here is that when we begin to give ourselves to one another, the world begins to know there's something different about them. Not something awkward, but something different. And it's the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? The result of us being one is that Jesus would be known. The second result that Jesus gives in this prayer is that we may understand the love of the Father. And like I said before, there's no greater love than this. There really is no greater love than the love of the Father. Read with me in verse 22. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus is ringing that oneness again. In them, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So far, um, it seems like Jesus, because he is, repeating the same thing. So he, he really wants us to get that. Lord, um, I want them to be one. I want them to be one. And then he says, I want them to be perfectly one. And he says, the ability, the ability that they're going to be able to do this in is the fact that the same glory that you've given me, I'm giving them. And, and that glory that Jesus is talking about is that when Jesus became man, the incarnation, that God gave him glory for the sole purpose to reveal the name of the Father, to show forth his name. That's what Jesus was praying the first five verses of this prayer. Eternal life, that we would know God and know the one whom he sent. Jesus is saying, in the same way that God gave me that glory to make the name of God known, I am now giving the church, I'm giving the people of God, those who believe in Christ Jesus, that same glory to manifest the name of God. The way that we receive this is by the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit collectively. And again, as he said before, we live this out in community. And so Jesus repeats the same thing. I want them to be one. I want them to be perfectly one. And, and we're not going to be perfect. You know by experience, we're not perfect. There, there, there are people who won't go to certain churches or won't go to other churches, and we're not perfectly one yet. Jesus is praying from an eternal perspective. As I said, I said in the outset of this sermon, what Jesus prays for and, and, and what Jim prays for, um, it happens. G- Jesus, Jesus is saying the trajectory of his people is that we'll be one in the truest sense. We'll be perfectly one. Now, the difference is that result is something that Jesus had just prayed for, that the world would know him. But he adds something else to this in verse 23. He says, They be perfectly become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. I'm, I've been praying for this since the day I was a Christian. And I pray for this. It's to know and experience and to develop a proper understanding of a love of God for me as an individual and a love of God for people. Because it seems to me that what Jesus is saying is pretty profound, and if we're not careful, we will just skip over that. Jesus is not saying in some abstract way, Father, let them know that you love them. Sometimes it, it does bother me sometimes when there's people who I don't even know who walk up to me on the street and they don't know that, that I'm a Christian or that I love Jesus and they'll just say things like, hey, God loves you and keep walking. And, and, and I know that they're, they're wanting to be of encouragement, but to me like that, 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 that oh, see you, man, dang, I don't know what to do with that, right? It's just kind of a, a weird deal. And, but, but Jesus is not just speaking in some way like, hey, God loves you. He's saying, Father, I, I want them to know that you love them in the same way that you love me. Like that, that's amazing. 
that we said before that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have existed for all eternity. And that the Father has always loved the Son. The Father will always love the Son. And then we think about putting us, we go, well, that's easy because Jesus is perfect. Like Jesus hasn't sinned. Jesus was the perfect, even when he became a human, he was like the perfect human, right? You're sure his brothers and sisters, they hated him, man. Damn, Jesus did it again, right? He never does anything wrong. Like it's easy for, for God to love Jesus, right? He's perfect. But then we think about ourselves and we think about our own lives and we think about our own thoughts. And then we think about um, just the totality of our lives and we think about the things we've done. We think about the things that we just think about ourselves and we go, it's easy to see that God loves Jesus. It is very hard to see that God loves me. And I think what Jesus is praying here is not just in some only corporate sense that he loves all people, but there's a particular love in what he's talking about here. And there, there's an intense and an intensity in this particular love that Jesus is talking about. That if the people of God can understand the love that God, the love of the Father, this deep love in which he's lavished upon us in Christ Jesus, he's saying, I love you as much as I love Jesus. Can you just imagine what your life would look like if you, if you, if you knew that? I mean, just think about that. Like, what would your life look like if you knew that you were completely loved in Christ Jesus? Completely loved by the Father. That the same love of all eternity that God has been displaying, the Father on the Son, that he now displays upon you. Even though you enter into the situation with your own sin, that even in that, God, through his love in Christ Jesus, has washed it away. That he says, I take in your sins and I remember them no more. I spread them as far as part as the east is from the west. I don't treat you as your sins deserve. I treat you as what Jesus deserves. And that's the way God treats his people. And, 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 and Jesus is saying, the way that we will experience that, because what you would have if you really knew that, you would have a great deal of confidence. You wouldn't have a confidence in who you are. You wouldn't have a confidence in what you've done or what you haven't done or the family you grew up in or the school you went to or the woman you, you date or you married or the kid. You would, your, your confidence wouldn't be in that. And therefore, your confidence wouldn't be up and down with situations and circumstances. But your confidence would be consistent and it would be high and it would be soaring because your confidence would be completely um, solid in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ as your true elder brother. That we would have to wrestle with the insecurities as much as we do. We wouldn't have to worry about people's thoughts of us. That we, we understood this love. This is the type of love that God is saying, this is what I'm giving you. What gets in the way is us in this, in this equation. And another thing that I love about this is many of us, when we start thinking about the Father's love, we, we, we check out because we, we, we go to our experiences. And some of us have not had that, that good love by the Father. But Jesus is, the God, the God the Father's love for us is nothing even like the best dad in this room or the best dad in this world. It far outweighs that. It far surpasses that. It is a perfect love. There's never been a greater love than this. And there never will be a greater love than this. That every single one of us, even with good fathers, we were still born with a cavity in our heart. And our dads, the best our dads can do is introduce us to the one who can only fill that cavity. He could not. He could never. And so those of us who didn't have great dads, those of us who never had dads at all, um, we are in no position better or worse than those of us who did. But when it comes to understanding the love of the father, God himself, he, he fills that hole. You were, you were made for him. I was made for him. All of us were made for him. And the way that we connect with him is through his son, Jesus Christ. And we understand that. Jesus doesn't say you have to have a good father to experience his love. But he did say this. The way that you experience his love is by oneness. The same way that you live the life um, that would make God known, that we give ourselves to one another, we love God and we serve our neighbor, that when we are in the community with one another, that's the way we begin to understand God's love. I think there's something unique to that. You see, when you're a part of a body, there's certain things that, that different parts of the body bring to your experience that you don't have. 
Um, I, I like to joke around around here that Tim and Sherry Anderson, Tim who does benediction here and his wife, they're, they're like the parents here. Like they're the sages. Whatever they say, go. If we get in trouble, they're going you know to get in trouble. If Tim needs to spank me, I'm, I'm sorry, Tim, get me. Right? You know, it's like he's, like he's like our dad's here. Like he is, to a lot of people here, the father figure. Um, he, he loves them that way. There are some people here who bring different gifts to the body. But when the gifts of the body are together in oneness, the result of that, when we're living and giving ourselves to God and one another, the result of that is we begin to understand this love. We begin to understand this love that the Father has for us. And one of my favorite writers, Elise Fitzpatrick, really who gets the gospel and writes, and in this particular passage, in talking about this love, here's what she says. When I look through all the closets of my soul and all I find is lovelessness, I know that I don't have any claim to God's love on my own. The only truth that, I, that can assuage this is this. I know that God loves his son. Even though there are times when I wonder how God can love me, I know that he loves his son. And because he has made a formal legal declaration that I'm in him, then I must continue to tell myself and believe that he loves me because of him. My only other option is to say that he doesn't love his son at all. But the truth is that the pronouncement he made over him, this is my beloved. What it's saying in community, there are moments when we look at ourselves and we go, I'm just unlovable. But when you're connected with other people, that in their moments, they're able to tell you the truth about who you are in God. And there's moments when they're struggling and God has you in a particular position that you're able to tell them the truth about who they are in Christ. And we're able to understand the love that the Father gives me and gives us. There's nothing greater than that. And that's a true experience that we experience most, not by having good or bad dads, but by being in the context of community. Amen? So, so Jesus' central prayer here is that we may be one. We love God and love our neighbors. That we give of ourselves and take responsibility for each other. Um, when doing that, people would be able to see and know Jesus, and that we, those of us in Christ Jesus, would be able to experience the love of the Father. That's it. I mean, that, that, that is it. And Jesus closes his prayer with talking and praying for what he wants most. Like what he wants most. And here's what we know again. What Jesus wants and what he prays for, Jesus gets. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, and these know that you have sent me I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus, is, Jesus what he wants most, he says, is for every single one of us to be with him. He says, Father, this is what I desire. That's a strong word. Like, this is what I desire, is that those who you've given me, those who would believe in Jesus, that they would be with me forever, right? And, 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 and I want that, right? Most of us say, yeah, thank you. I want that too. Like, I want that. Um, and I want that for my family. I want that for my kids. I want that for my neighborhood. I want that for, for the university. I want that for that people in my dorms. I, can, I want this too. And, and, and then we say, well, how can we pursue this? How can we have this? And I think Jesus closes his prayer, this whole prayer, and wraps it up. So just to recap, week one, we said pray a dangerous prayer. That God would be glorified in you no matter what. No matter what may come, no matter what suffering may come, that God would be glorified in you. Week two is that we would understand what it means to be kept and have the joy of Jesus Christ fulfilled in us through obedience. 
and then now that we may be one. The only way that we're able to accomplish any of those things, pray those prayers, or have the obedience in Christ Jesus, to have, to have the joy of Jesus manifested in us or completed in us, the only way that we can give of ourselves to one another when we don't even really know each other is to understand what is the trajectory, what is the end goal, what is God doing, and what God is doing himself as he's drawing us to the work of Jesus, that we would know him and love him and serve him for all eternity. And when we enter into the equation, we bring our sins, we bring our doubt. But the way that Jesus says is because he cares most about our growth and he wants us in heaven more than we want us in heaven. He wants us to be one more than we want us to be one. He wants to be glorified in us more than we want to. This is his promise to us in verse 26 here. Jesus says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me, that I may love them and I am them. The promise that we have of Jesus is in our weakest moment, we can pray and say, I believe Help me with my unbelief. And Jesus says, I will continue to do that until it's accomplished because you will know the love of God. Amen? Let's pray.